0: Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for joining me. It's Friday, December 23rd, almost Christmas. We are en route to Pennsylvania, Tim and I and Evan, in our new car. It's funny, we got this new car and we've driven it like three times in the last month because that's what happens when you have a car in New York, especially a new car. You don't want to like drive it. I get a a little apprehensive driving in the city, but we're definitely going to have to plan more trips because we love this car. It's a Volvo SUV. Yes, a Volvo, which means we are officially boring adults. But let me tell you, Volvo has done wonders with its design and engineering. And it's kind of made a crossover into the luxury category, I dare say. We're really, really excited about this car. And it's got this like massive sunroof. So Evan is – completely in awe when we're driving and it beats him, you know, crying or being uncomfortable or are we there yet? Or, you know, we have to like give him the iPad just to make ourselves happy. Yes, I do that. Sorry. I (laughs) I thought I'd never be that parent, but I do resort to the iPad on occasion. Anyway, where were we? It is December 23rd, almost Christmas. Hope you all, if you celebrate Christmas or if you're taking time off right now over the next couple of weeks, that you, you know, enjoy, relax, reflect, and perhaps you've been enjoying some of the podcasts that we've been doing this week. We've been dedicating this week and also next week to year end reviews, some of the best of So Money, the highlights of the year. And we started Monday with some great excerpts from guests who've talked about negotiation. On Wednesday, we talked about starting a business and all of the guests that have shared advice around that and entrepreneurship. Next week, we're gonna talk about health and wellness as well as investing. So we're gonna kind of go through the year and pick some of our favorite interviews. There's so many. We hope that you will enjoy them, kind of remind you to go back and re-listen to some of these episodes because they're all so there's just gems, and it's important to remember them because they can get lost in the shuffle. All right, Sophia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Sophia is becoming a little bit of a celebrity, everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she is, and maybe you didn't want to be, but uh, well, this is your life now. We were, we were at the uh, Rebecca Minkoff event earlier this month, and people were coming to you know see me talk about how to maximize your finances around the holidays and a lot of people were like, where's Sophia? Is that Sophia? So I'm happy to say she is also becoming a face of the brand and deservedly so. So uh, how does it feel to be uh, a celebrity?
1: It's exciting. I'm not going to lie. I was not expecting the warm welcome that I did receive, but it was a lot of fun. And I actually was telling a few of my friends about it and they were laughing. They were like, that's so funny. So no, it's been exciting.
0: Yes. And you'll hear later on as we go through these questions, you get some shout outs as well. So you are I'm happy to say you're very much a part, a fixture of the Farnoosh Inc. brand and hopefully for many years to come. All right. So exciting to share also that, you know, as we finish the year and kick off 2017, I want everyone who's listening to think about what their New Year's goals will be, their financial goals, because come January 1st, I'm kicking off a really exciting Instagram campaign with Mint. For those of you who don't know, I blog for Mint every week, new stories, new articles, sometimes money audits, and if you want a money audit, just email us so com. And one of the things we thought of was doing this really fun Instagram campaign where we would talk about our So minty hashtag so minty goals and ideas and steps for the new year. All around, you know, what our, I guess, if you resolutions are, and I hate that word, but you know, whatever a synonym for resolution you use, that's what our goal is in this campaign is to kind of share all of that, get people motivated, get people on the right track. So stay tuned for those instructions and how to follow us and how to participate. Also, also exciting is that, you know, for a while now, I've been asking you guys to send in your questions and leave a voicemail because we actually have this widget now at so manypodcast.com where you can leave a, a question with your voice through a little widget called SpeakPipe. And it is on the right-hand corner sidebar of the site on the homepage. And it's really simple. You just click on it and record your voice through your phone, your laptop, your computer, wherever you're accessing the site. And today, we have our inaugural question, and it comes from Kelly, who has a question about real estate, her boyfriend, and taxes. Here's Kelly.
1: Hi, Farnoosh and Sophia. This is Kelly from West New York, New Jersey. Love your show. So my significant other and I bought a condo together this past February. We have similar paying jobs, so we split everything 50-50. The down payment, our mortgage, and our HOA fees are all paid equally 50-50. So my question is regarding filing for our taxes. We aren't married yet, so we wouldn't file jointly, but should we both go to the same accountant at the same time? In the past, my brother did my taxes using TurboTax, but now that I'm a property owner with my boyfriend, I'm figuring that my brother doing them isn't the best idea. So do you have any tips on how to handle our taxes this year? Thank you.
0: All right. Wasn't that cool, Sophia, to actually hear people's voice? That was
1: awesome. I'm so excited that we have our first
0: one. I know. Thank you, Kelly, for being the brave, brave person to attempt <laughs> speak pipe. See, it's not that scary. And I love hearing your voices. It's just adding another cool dimension to our audience and our show. So she has a really poignant question and as she said, she's bought a home with her boyfriend and they're not married, so they're not, you know, filing their taxes jointly. But her brother's been doing her taxes and she feels a little uncomfortable now, maybe, you know, now that she's sharing this expense with her boyfriend to divulge her finances with her brother. Totally get that. So do you need to have the same accountant? Not necessarily. You know, I'll tell you from my experience, Tim and I owned property before we got married for a short while. We were engaged And he had an accountant and I had an accountant. As long as you make sure that you're both reporting the same, you know, on your taxes and ultimately, you know, you can, I suppose, decide to split the interest deduction or one person gets the interest deduction, mortgage interest, that is, and the other person doesn't claim it. And then you reconcile it when you get your tax refund or something. I mean, that's the only thing that makes your taxes a little bit complicated when you're not married and you have something that you share in like, a property where there are some tax benefits. So the question is, who's going to benefit from the tax benefits? Only one of you can, perhaps, maybe both of you can, but that is a question for your accountant and how you're going to organize that. So not necessarily do you need the same accountant. However, if your boyfriend has someone that he likes and wants to bring you on board, that's fine. That could be just easier in terms of your time management. You know, you go to the one meeting, you hash it out, And you're done as opposed to you going to your person, he going to his person, emailing back and forth. It's important maybe for those accountants to communicate, I would say, like do like a joint introductory email just so that if there are any questions and they want to make sure there's not overlap or inconsistencies that they do right by you. So that's what I would say, Kelly. And honestly, I get the concern about, you know, maybe not wanting to divulge your finances with your brother at this point, because maybe it would also implicate, you know, how much you bought the house for and you don't want to reveal that. Totally get it. So if that's what's keeping you fine, but if you're okay with that, then, and your brother's been good at doing your taxes, then perhaps he continues to do them. But whoever does your taxes, it's important that they're in communication with your boyfriend's accountant as well, like for all the reasons I just said. So thanks, Kelly. And good luck with the house and good luck with the payments. And let us know if you have any further questions. Cool. All right, Sophia, that was our one voicemail uh, this week. So that was great, but we want more. So just again, go on moneypodcast.com, click on SpeakPipe, record your voice question, and we'll throw it into a forthcoming episode. Really easy. Thanks so much. Okay, next question.
1: All right. So our next question comes from Danielle and she has a really large extended family, just 22 people. Oh, just <laughs> 22 people. Just 22, no big deal. And she's expected to get Christmas gifts for all of them. But she knows that all of that money will add up. And she suggested drawing names from a hat. But her family called her cheap by doing this. I know. Boo. Whatever. Whatever. (laughs) And she makes more than a lot of them. So that was heartbreaking for her. But anyways, she wants to save for a wedding and a down payment on a home. And so she wants to know, is she being cheap? And what should she do? I don't think she's being cheap. I think she I don't either. I just had this conversation this
0: morning with a friend which was that I just I wish we could just move beyond gifting around the holidays. Like what is I that? Agree. I mean kids, yes, that's one thing. They have the whole Santa Claus thing or, you know, it's fine. Kids can enjoy that. But when you're like an adult, I feel like just move on, you know, go to dinner, have a party. There's- there's more to the
1: holidays. There's more to the holidays than gifts.
0: It's so too. frivolous. It's so expensive. It adds up. I don't care how much money you make, you know? I think that she has clearly stated that she has bigger priorities and I don't think that she should let her parents, her family, essentially financially bully her into buying all these gifts for everybody. And that's it. You know, I, at some point, you have to put your foot down. And even if it means disappointing your family, like I said, no one cares more about your money than you. And this is a classic case. Clearly, her parents don't understand that she has priorities. It's totally unfair to judge someone by how much they make, too. Because that's just the veneer, you know? Like, I know people who make lots of money, but they've got student loan debt, they've got mortgages, they've got kids that they've got, you know, so I can't judge them and say, well, just because you make this much money, you should be able to buy gifts for everybody, you know, and then to judge you on that. So that's totally unfair, Danielle. I'm, I'm sorry you have to go through that. I wonder too, though, if you have explained to your family that you have other priorities and that you have these big expenses that you want to save up for a wedding, a down payment. Hopefully they would understand. And maybe one way to combat this is to say, look, in lieu of getting me gifts this year, I would love if you could contribute to my wedding fund or my home fund. And there are websites out there actually that can help you set up savings accounts for these goals. So you're at least getting some gifting that way, that like some appropriate gifting that way. They're just going to give you $20 here, $30 there. That adds up from 22 people. And then you can more comfortably go and spend on these folks if you really feel like it's going to tear up your family if you don't. But then at least you know that you're not sacrificing your planning around the wedding and the home. What do you think Sophia? Was that that could kind of counterbalance everything,
1: right? <laughs> No, I, I, I like that idea. And the other thing, too, that you could do, which maybe your family wouldn't be that excited about, is you could make a donation in your family's name and just say, you know, pick one charity that's really important that maybe has some significant meaning to your family. And that just kind of shows them as well that, you know, there are more to gifts this holiday season and that your family should be taking that money and perhaps donating it to people who are actually in need this holiday season. Right. So I think that's another idea. That's That's a great idea.
0: To answer your question, no, you're not being cheap. Your family's being irrational. That said, if it's really important for you to kind of just keep things cool, just say, look, I get it. You want to keep this tradition. Fine. For me, I would love if you would kindly contribute to my funds and you can go online and set these accounts up. And in return, yes, I will give me your Christmas list. <laughs> I will, I will try to fulfill <laughs> your, you know, your material dreams. <laughs> Don't use my words, but basically, you get the point, right, Danielle? <laughs> and good luck. I mean, I feel bad that the holidays have to come down to this. You want to be able to. It's stressful. I'm stressed now.
1: I'm a little I am too. stressed
0: around this, and ugh, it is what it is, I guess. But hopefully, you can. After this winter now you've sort of planted the seed, right? That this isn't something that you're really excited about. And maybe you should start talking to other people, like maybe your contemporaries in the family that are around your age, because sometimes the older adults lose perspective. Like the grandparents, the parents, they've been doing this tradition for so long, they want to hold on tight to the tradition. And they they just forget that, you know, when you're 25 or 30, it's it's hard to to budget for all this stuff. So perhaps you could find your posse, your people within the family and then go in as a team next year to present this idea. And then it'll be a little more forceful. Basically, a coup is what I'm proposing.
1: <laughs> a family coup. <laughs> yeah. Just
0: make it a war. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about this question from Claire who, oh my gosh, She's got a husband or husband-to-be that's a trust fund baby.
1: Yeah, and he owns his own business. That's always fun. I Yeah, who wouldn't love that? But um, she's making 60000 a year pre-tax, and she has 25000 in savings. They live together, and so far she feels like the money discrepancy, they've been able to navigate it pretty well. But she is concerned about getting married and the steps that they both should take to protect themselves. And so she'll be signing a prenup, and she has no idea what to look for when talking to her lawyer. And she wants to know what should be put in place in the case of divorce, bankruptcy, and other big milestones bankruptcy. Wow.
0: Well, uh, do you know what state she lives in? She didn't specify. Okay. So Claire, when it comes to things like a prenup and divorce laws and how to protect yourself, very important to first review your state's laws. And every state is different as far as what happens in a divorce, what legally will become yours and your partner's. That said a prenup can offset what the state says so that's why people have prenups they read their state's laws they, they find out oh guess what I live in New Jersey and it's a you know equitable distribution state I don't like that so I'm gonna write a prenup that you know has has more of what my wishes are now your a sense her boyfriend is, the one that's prompting the prenup, because I guess usually the person who makes more is the one who suggests it. (laughs) You want to, when you talk to a lawyer, really ask this person, is this a fair contract? And make sure that it's in layman's terms, that you really understand what would happen in the event of a divorce. Is this equitable to you and fair to you? Do you feel like, you know, that you would get what you quote unquote deserve? And this is the thing that it's really important because what's happening now is that prenups are going to court. People are divorcing. Their prenups are now becoming something that they're referring to. And judges sometimes throw them out because they say this prenup is completely one-sided. Because what happens, Sophia, usually, right? Like two weeks before your wedding, <laughs> your rich <laughs> boyfriend, girlfriend is like, oh, my parents really want you to sign this prenup. Can you just sign it, please? And, and you know, you do because what are you going to like – stop the wedding, you know, and then you're really busy. So you're not going to have a lawyer look at it. But sometimes these contracts are completely one-sided and it really leaves the other person left to just basically have nothing. And even things like, for example, in the divorce proceeding, if your partner is going to initiate a divorce and he or she is richer, maybe you could put something in there where this person would cover the legal costs. Hmm, perhaps, you know, if you and your partner go into business together and you earn money together, you want to make sure that you get your fair share in the event of a divorce. So this prenup needs to just always look at sort of the, the what ifs and how you would want to be protected in the event that you part ways. So I would say. That you and your boyfriend should sit down with one attorney or you get an attorney, he gets an attorney and they communicate and you really create a balanced prenup. And I don't think that you really want to get his parents that involved, you know, to the extent that they may have their biases because it's, you know, and they're going to be very sensitive. So try to just maybe navigate this just between you and him if possible, just to make it a little less emotional. and and challenging. A prenup does not, by the way, include child support or child custody, FYI. Just something to know because that's something that people often misconceive. All right. Good question. Okay. April's got a question next and it's about maybe getting a big pay bump at
1: work. Yeah. So she actually just got a big pay bump at work and she wants to start a yearly tradition of donating now that she has some more money in the bank. So she wants to know if you have any recommendations for websites of charities that you might might like or ones that Rate the effectiveness of where your donation is going towards.
0: Indeed, I do. Because, you know, we worked on this for the Oprah issue this month, <laughs> in fact. Um, so, yeah, I will tell you what I research and what you research, Sophia, for the December issue of Oprah Magazine. If you would like to pick up a copy, we would be so appreciative. Guidestar, Charity Navigator, GiveWell.com. Three great websites for looking up charities. These sites also give reviews of charities a lot of times they will include as one of their variables the look at how much of that dollar that you donate actually goes directly to the cause all charities have overhead so you can't punish a charity because they're paying their employees and paying their utilities and paying for fundraising that is a fact of running an organization. However, some are better at doing that than others. And one of the rules of thumb that we learned in the research process, and we talked to people from these organizations like GuideStar and Givewell, is that you know, if it's a large charity, let's say it's like, I don't know, the Red Cross or the American Cancer Society, you know, these are big multinational charities that Just span overseas and they do great work that you have to understand they have a lot of overhead, right? And so to say that necessarily if they're spending more than 50% or 40% of their donations on their overhead, that they're a lousy charity, you know, you have to kind of look at everything. You have to look at Obviously, the overhead is important, but also what is the mission of the charity and have they clearly articulated this to donors? Saying, for example, that you are in – your nonprofit helps – Disadvantaged children. Well, that's a good start, but what else? I want to learn where these people are, where these kids are. Where does my money actually go? Does it help with food and nutrition? Does it help with education? Does it help with childcare, school? You know, what, what? So the more specific a charity is about how your dollars are going to be invested, the better the clarity is really important when you're picking a charity. That's usually a good sign that that it is a good and responsible charity. And the other thing I will say, because it's this time of year and everyone is kind of remembering again that oh gosh, I do want to donate, and then charities are actually reaching out to you and being very proactive and emailing you and contacting you on Facebook, that you don't donate kind of as a knee jerk reaction to something you see online. That. If you get a phone call and someone's asking you for money or you get an email and someone's asking you for money, I'd rather you take a second to actually say, first of all, is this a charity that is important to me and is part of my charity budget for the year? Second, what's the best way to donate? Usually donating over the phone is not the best way to donate because these people who have been hired to contact you to get your money – they're going to take a cut of your dollar. So better to go to the website Straightforward, forward, go to the website of that charity and donate directly. And we've had on the founder of a really great app called Bisto B-S-T-O-W, where you can donate throughout the year. Any charity basically that you want, they've got almost all the charities that have been IRS approved. And how it works is that it, links and syncs up to one of your bank accounts or credit cards. Every time you spend, it takes that expense, rounds it up to the nearest dollar, takes the change and puts it into the charity that you've designated or several charities. And then it also keeps a track of your donations for IRS purposes. Because remember, you want to get that tax deduction if you can, but you'll need the paperwork. So that's basically the article that I wrote for Oprah in a gist, but would love for you to you know check it out. And if you have any other questions about donations, And charitable giving, this is a good topic to talk about on this show. I love talking about giving back
1: great. So now we have a question from Anonymous. She has $50,000. Well, how do we know she's a she then? If she's anonymous. She's not an anonymous. Test. She wrote in saying that she would like to, oh, her name okay. to be left out from the episode. But her question is actually really interesting. So she has $50,000 in private student loan debt and her fiance's parents have offered to pay all of her loan debt because ultimately they don't want their son's credit to be tarnished and they do want her to sign a prenup. She's very tempted to take them up on this offer, but she doesn't want to start this marriage off feeling like she owes anybody anything. And so she's wondering if she should do it and whether or not she should tell her parents. She's really nervous about what they'll think. So she's Mm. really in a pickle.
0: Yeah. Mm. I mean, well, yes, a pickle, but how many people (laughs) get the opportunity to have their student loans paid off in one fell swoop. one thing. Okay. One thing that she said, I just want to clarify for listeners and for her and also for her fiance's parents. Listen, when you get married and you have debt, as long as you don't combine this debt, you don't become co-owners of this debt through a refinance or something, as long as that debt only states your name, your partner is not going to be responsible for that debt. So it's not going to hit his credit. It's not going to ruin his credit score as long as he's not part owner in that debt. And um just want to clarify that. So the next thing I want to say is that the thing about having debt in a relationship, whether it's yours or your partner's, is that it, it does create stress in the marriage or in the relationship. It does mean that effectively together, you're going to have a hard time qualifying for things together, whether it's another home loan or a car loan or starting a business. And also because there's that debt and that monthly payment towards that debt, your expenses can feel you know, like they're being challenged and you're not maybe able to buy as many things as you want and afford the things that you want. So from an affordability and from a qualifying for future loans together standpoint, debt does create roadblocks. It doesn't hurt the other person's credit as long as their name is not on that debt. Get it? Okay. So that's just one thing I want to say to kind of get everybody on the same page. Her question is really more about should she do it? Whether or not she feels she could do it. This is like really – emotionally a big question, right? And I think she's answered it a little bit to the extent where she says that, she said she's nervous, she doesn't want to feel like she owes them anything. And for me, that's an all I need to hear. Like maybe you shouldn't accept this money directly from them for your student loans. However, if they want to still be generous and they want to give you this money and they want to gift it to you and your husband, perhaps they could, instead of giving it to you, anonymous and maybe writing you a check and that feels a little weird. You can just say this was the wedding gift that they decided to give us. And as a couple, we're deciding to put it largely towards my student loans. So it feels like it's a gift to the both of you. And really in doing so, it is a gift to the both of you. The other thing they could do instead of writing you this check is perhaps helping you out with Expenses so that you can have the money to pay off this loan yourself in good time. So, maybe to get out of the $50,000 in student loan debt, you create a two year plan where you're putting a lot of your salary towards it in exchange for your fiance's parents helping you guys pay for housing and food. I mean, you, you know, you can figure out what kind of is equitable, but this way it doesn't feel like they're. Paying you money, they're like giving you an allowance to basically pay off for student loans. Or they're, you know, it's not as direct of a relationship there. And it could feel a little less like they've got your hands tied behind your back or that you owe them something, if that makes sense.
1: Definitely. And what I like about the first option that you proposed is most people get money for weddings anyway. So if they gift you that money, you and the, the husband, then you're consciously making the decision together as a couple to pay it off. So you do have a little bit more authority over the decision. It doesn't feel so much like like they're, you know, doing you a favor. Um, they're gifting you money, which is very generous to begin with. But then you and your husband are making the conscious decision together. And, you know, you, it feels a little bit more like you're making the decision together. It's not so much... You don't feel like you owe them anything, as you mentioned. Right. And
0: one other thing that I can't get out of my head that she mentioned is that, and hopefully there's more to it than this, but if the the only reason they want to give her this money is to protect their son, I feel like that's not the best motivation. You know, you ideally want to get this money because they want you to be debt-free so that it helps the relationship, but it's like they're bringing up their son's credit and this and that. It's like, well, yeah, but we're in this together now, you know, and I think that if you haven't already, you need to have a conversation with your fiance, get, you know, measure his temperature as well on this and figure out how he's feeling because it's important that he is on board with this as well. If he starts to resent you because his parents gave you all this money to pay off your student loan debt and then he was hoping that maybe that was going to be money to buy your house together, you know, you really want to talk this through with him because you're going to have to live with him.
1: (laughs) Definitely. And I was going to say, I wonder how his parents even know about her student loan debt to begin with. I mean, unless she's been very open with them about it from the beginning, but maybe it's something that he's brought up to his parents and it's something that's eating away at him a little bit, then maybe that's a conversation that you know, she and her husband have to have well, husband to be have to have before they can move on with the decision of whether or not they should accept this money. And you know, it, because if it's something that's really eating away at him, then maybe you know that's a, a separate conversation. Right. Right.
0: Wow. Again, love these questions, ladies and gentlemen, because it's not something you can just Google and find a website that's called like my <laughs> my fiance's parents are giving me money dot com. What should I do dot com? You know. So. I, I appreciate that you come to me with these questions. Hopefully I'm giving you some sensible advice. There's really no absolute here, but I'm just kind of trying to throw out like things to consider. And I do think that you should tell your parents, like Sophia said, because I think the more input you have on this, the better. You don't want to make this decision in a vacuum, but firstly talk to your fiance and see if there's a way to kind of arrange this contribution in a way that's going to make the both of you feel, you know, that that it's not coming with strings attached.
1: All right. Any more? We're at our last one. Okay. It's from Shab. He's working on repairing damaged credit and he owes $16,000 in student loans. And so recently his credit score went up from a 610 to, uh, and it was previously at a 500 after he was approved for two credit cards, which he's had for six months and both of them are paid off. And so – He's wondering if he pays his student loan balance, will his score improve even more? Or do you have any hacks maybe for improving his score while making student loan payments? Mm -hmm. He's wondering if she should increase Mm -hmm. his credit line. Yes. Your score will definitely
0: improve more rapidly, I think, than paying off your student loans by increasing your credit card limit. And here's why. Your credit score, while it does factor in all kinds of credit that you are managing, from credit cards to student loans, to the car loan, to the mortgage, to even your utility bills in some cases, that but the fico score really is sensitive to credit card payments and credit card debt and credit card management. So when like he said he paid off his credit card in 6 months and he was really diligent, he opened up these two cards and his credit score went up 110 points. That's a lot in 6 months. Huge. The thing about the student loans is that, you know, paying them off on time Will help paying them off entirely. I'm not sure in one fell swoop. I'm not sure if that's going to really like bump up his score a lot. Uh, student loans, just like a mortgage, those are called installment loans. Credit cards are revolving credit, revolving "quote unquote" loans, and I think that sometimes credit score calculators look at the revolving debt as more of a lit and how you perform with that as a better litmus test for how you are actually, you know whether or not you're credit worthy and and whether or not you should have a high score or a low score. The thing about installment debt is that yes, it's important, yes, it's factored in. The thing you want to be careful there is never missing payments. And, you know, how aggressively you pay it down is not going to be as important in the grand scheme of things as it would be with paying off credit card debt aggressively. As far as your credit score is concerned, I think if you're looking for a hack, I think it's better to just call up these credit card companies that you've had apparently a good relationship with. You've been paying off the debt on a timely basis. Say, could we raise my credit limit, you know, a few thousand dollars for each of the cards? I think you'll see a big improvement. And as long as you don't carry debt, you should see your score improve even more. That said, pay off your student loans if you want, you know, more aggressively if you can. Why not? And this is something that maybe won't Jack up your credit score, but it'll be great for your conscience. <laughs> it'll be great for your bank account. Once you have that debt gone, you can use that payment to save more that you're making towards the loans. So, Shab, I think that you are on the right track, and I like your idea about improving your debt to credit ratio by raising your credit limit. And that's a good hack that we can all participate in, as long as we've been good with our credit. All right. you can just do it by calling up your credit card company. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Listen, I hope you have a really, really relaxing weekend. For those of you that are celebrating Christmas, Merry Christmas. And we'll be back here on Monday with another year-end wrap of 2016, this time talking about all the highlights from the year that had to do with health and wellness. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And I hope your weekend is so money.